0: Good evening, listeners. It is September 10th, and you are tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can mean only one thing. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Kristen Finch.
1: And I'm Scott Classic. Here at Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. So here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. So if you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming in on the show or if you want to find out more about all the awesome things, cool people, cool research um, going on at Oregon State, just check out our blog. We've got a blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, and that's where you can find out all of our up and coming guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages, which you can check out.
0: Inspiration dissemination is recorded live and should they occur, any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State, Oregon State University or this station. Tonight we're joined by Brent Warnicki from the Department of Botany and Plant Pathology. Hey Brent. Hi. Glad to have you here. I know I've been trying to get you on the show for a while.
2: <laughs> Thank, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: The day has come. And so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your research, starting off with what degree you're seeking and who your major advisor is.
2: Okay, yeah, so I'm seeking a master's of science, and my major advisor is Walt Mahaffey. He's a uh, USDA ARS uh, research plant pathologist over at the Horticultural Crops Research Lab. So yeah, what I'm studying is um, fungicide timing and efficacy, uh, fungicide application timing and efficacy uh, uh, to control grape powdery mildew, which is... a uh, a perennial problem here for wine grapes in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. Cool. So, um,
1: since I'm a non-botany or plant pathology person, I'm in the minority (laughs) in this uh, studio right now. So, can you tell me about um, what mildew is? Something that we grow, or that that we don't want it growing in places, but... uh.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, plants get infected by diseases just like humans do and and any other organism. and. Mildew is a very common um, problem with pathogen, with multiple different crops. It's basically just a fungus that grows on the outside surfaces of like leaves and different plant parts like berries in the instance of grapes too, so.
1: Cool, so it grows on other things and not just grapes. Yeah,
2: squashes, you know, your kale, you can find it on there. You can find it on multiple types of of crops and ornamentals as well. Cool.
0: And so what, what effect does this mildew have on grapes and why would uh, a vineyard owner not want mildew to be on their grapes?
2: I mean, with grapes, it's all about quality. Um, you're, especially with wine grapes, you're looking to produce the highest quality product, in some case limiting yields just so you can have you know, less product but a higher quality and get that higher market value. Um, and mildew really, it doesn't, it doesn't really kill the vines. Um, it just deque- decreases the quality of the grapes. So um, that's the main thing. It can also, you know, in severe infections, actually cause uh, harm to the vines. But uh, typically in a commercial setting, that doesn't happen.
1: And then, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said earlier that if it is over a certain percentage of grapes that are infected by the mildew, then you can start to taste it in the wine.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, so in a commercial context, they do a lot better job controlling, a real very good job controlling it and limiting infections to you know, less than 5% of berries. And once you get like 5%, you can, uh, there's research out there that shows that you can pre- perceive the flavors in the wine.
1: Yeah. You don't just go swirling it around. Oh, I detect a <laughs> hint of, uh, <laughs> mildew, some, uh, mildew top notes Yeah,
0: and a mildew aftertaste. No, that's <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm wondering then, um, how common is this problem across the Willamette Valley? Is it just a few vineyards or just a certain region?
2: Oh yeah, it's ubiquitous. I mean, whenever I talk to growers and they're like, oh, I haven't seen any mildew. I'm just like, you know, it is there. Just, just assume it is there. And it may be at a low level, low severity in the vineyard, but, um, you know, if growth gets away from you, if your spray regime, uh, you know, falls behind, then it can just, it can come with a vengeance. So just, you know, assume it's always there.
0: Okay. So, so fungicide then is a, is a solution that some of the growers have. And since, uh, powdery mildew is so ubiquitous and is everywhere in the Willamette Valley. I assume that many of the growers use fungicide already. So where does your experiment actually come into the mix?
2: Yeah. So, um, yeah, fungicides are used across all wine growers. Um, The European wine grapes are all susceptible to it. And where my research comes into uh, play is during grapevine flowering. It's one of the most critical times to control this pathogen because that's like early development where your berries are just starting to come on and the mildew um, because its spores are similarly sized to pollen grains. um, The bunches of the grape are actually, they actually facilitate deposition of these spores by uh, letting them kind of like hit eddy currents and land within those bunches. Um, So I'm investigating fungicide application timing uh, during grapevine flowering as a means of increasing the efficacy of uh, fungicide applications.
1: So that's interesting in that, I guess, maybe the size of the spores of the mildew fungus are, you know, just the same size as the pollens, meaning that it can sort of hijack the grapes sort of uh, mechanism of growth.
2: Yeah, very, very similarly sized. Um, And in the lab, we use these uh, fluorescent microspheres in some uh, particle transport experiments in vineyards, um, and we release them uh, in a solution of alcohol, and then uh, they disperse throughout the vineyard, and we can kind of monitor the plume. So that's a... Okay, Another cool. thing my lab is doing to look at that.
0: So cool. that's to trace kind of where uh, where your fungicide or, or um, where any kind of like particle floating in the air would go in a vineyard?
2: Correct, yeah. And where it would deposit, you know, how far it goes, looking at those wind flows and uh, eddies in the complex agricultural canopy that a, a vineyard is. Cool. So it's not just the timing
1: aspect of when you apply the fungicide, it's also how um, effective is the fungicide in spreading across different parts of you're spraying it on maybe the the grapes themselves as they're young is that correct
2: yeah so we're, we're trying to cover all foliage with, with okay. these these fungicide applications and uh you mentioned uh it's spreading around so that's that's an additional facet of my research is looking at the uh, what's called the mobility or the redistribution of the fungicide where it moves from the point of application where it was deposited to uh Places that might not have received it via either the air or uh, absorbing into plant tissue and, and translocating, or uh, other mechanisms as well. So, yeah,
1: because plants have a circulatory system, just as just sort of like we do, right? The oh yeah. Xylem.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like yep. water, and they move uh, sugar via what's called the phloem. So. Oh,
1: okay. Yep. The water is for the xylem. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There we go. <laughs> I'm learning.
0: All right. So then, so then you have some results, I guess, because you're almost finished here. So yeah. what, what did you find with your fungicide timing experiment?
2: Yeah, so I've been here about two years, and I've got uh, two years of um, of field data with one in, one of the works for this year, too. Um, so what I found was I used uh, five different commonly used fungicides um, here in the Willamette Valley. Four of them are uh, synthetic chemicals, and one of them is sulfur. Um, and what I found was that uh, th- uh, three of these synthetics were most efficacious when they were applied uh, to the middle or late of... Uh, late in the grapevine flowering, uh, stages. So, um, that was able to decrease the amount of berries that were infected with mildew, um, to, to levels of, you know, one, 2% of berries, uh, which in our research vineyard, which has a lot of mildew, um, <laughs> is, is very good. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. And then
1: after that certain, um, timing, I guess, you know, after the grapes have been growing and they mature, then is it that the sugar content is too high, and that will restrict the mildew um, to spread even th- even further? Is that is yeah that correct? correct? Yeah, definitely. Okay.
2: Um, so grapes have this thing called uh, it's called ontogenic resistance. Um, once their tissues reach a certain age, um, they essentially become much less easy to infect. Um, in other words, uh, yeah, resistant to infection, um, and that's based. It's measured based on the sugar content of the grapes.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah. So with your fungicide application timing, you're actually trying to get the berries to this stage of resistance in a way, or the stage of maturity where they're not as susceptible to powdery mildew. So your timing in this way is actually really important because you're just trying to stop the infection?
2: Yeah, um, we're trying to delay the infection as long as possible. So, um, you know, this disease, once once it starts, it just takes off. So you really just want to, you know, apply these fungicides prophylactically and just push that epidemic as long as far as you can so that those grapes can develop and start to get that sugar and get more mature uh, so that they're less susceptible. So that's like, you know, the cornerstone kind of idea of, uh, of an effective fungicide regimen. Because
1: hmm. so. I think you mentioned earlier that the mildew will hang out in the, the stems of the grapes, the grape plants, and it can last uh, through the winter.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, at the end of every season, um, the, the mildew like has two different what's called mating types and, and it mates and produces this small fruiting structure, which uh, during the winter rains washes and rests on the grape um, trunk, essentially the, the trunk there. And then in the spring, it ruptures with the warm temperatures and, uh, and rain and then um, bursts out spores that then infect the new tissue. So that's how it starts every spring.
1: So it's just one of those things that you need to keep an eye on anytime you're trying to grow grapes.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're trying to go grow high-quality wine grapes, you definitely have to be aware of mildew and be proactive to control it.
1: And then which type of grapes, again, were you researching mostly?
2: So I have focused my research on uh, Pinot Noir wine grapes um, and doing a little bit of work this year with Chardonnay, okay. um, as well as Pinot Noir. So. Cool.
1: So main, right. main type of... Of grape grown in the Willamette Valley, if, if that's
0: right. Right, the Willamette By Valley far. is is the Pinot Noir. That's kind of their specialty grape, right? Or specialty wine.
2: Yeah, typically uh, wine grape growing regions, they'll have like a one type of grape that they can produce the highest quality of based off their climate. And for Oregon, um, Pinot Noir is really that that cultivar, that varietal. <laughs> yeah.
0: And right. so your Chardonnay work is. Were those the results that are going into um, commercial vineyard testing this year?
2: Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, so the last two years, that's 2015 and 2016 growing seasons, I did a small plot research here at the body and Plant Pathology Farm over across the Willamette River. Um, and this year, I'm taking the most successful treatments that I mentioned earlier and uh, looking at them, working with a, a couple commercial vineyards to see them in a commercial context. So that's what I'm working with Chardonnay with this year.
0: And which vineyards, just wondering. <laughs> um, Can't tell
2: us. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't really wanna um say their point. names, but uh yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well
1: <laughs> what? Your vineyard has mold on it, I'm never going there. <laughs> yeah, I try to
2: I try to keep a pretty uh, yeah. low profile for
1: that. Well, oh so. spoiler, they have
2: all got mould. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, No, no. It's uh, like I said, everybody's got it. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So, um, if there was any, anything else, I was, uh, curious to know a little bit more about your results in more detail specifically, how, um, were there any differences between the, um, I guess the mobility of all the different fungicides that you tested or were certain ones more effective at different timing stages? And I, know you mentioned earlier, um, in the flowering process, um, can you talk to me more, more about that?
2: Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm looking at a uh, fungicide mobility. It's kind of like another facet of that uh, application timing paradigm I mentioned. Um, and I've worked with these synthetic fungicides, um, and they all have different attributes um, of mobility. So they can, some of them move through the air. Um, they can like, you know, once they're applied to a leaf, they can uh, evaporate and move through the boundary layer of air around a leaf and rebind to the leaf in a different location. Um, So all the fungicide I examined, um, I did did a detached leaf assay in the lab and found that um, they all exhibited mobility um, via the air. And then uh, I've also looked at um, xylem translocation and uh, translaminar translocation, which means across the leaf from like the top to the bottom, say. Um, So yeah, I've I've examined that in uh, these four synthetics that I've examined in the field context. Um, and, uh, yeah, they all, they all exhibit mobility, um, which, you know, that's important because it really increases the efficacy of these products in the field. So it's kind of gotcha. why I'm looking and at
1: so it. And in, so in terms of how, um, far they go, are you talking like inches maybe from, you know, leaf to leaf here or there, or is it a lot, um, can
0: they wider? move plant to plant at all?
2: Yeah, those are good questions, and those are uh, potential uh, future directions of this research, I would say. Um, You know, in in my context of investigation, we're talking inches, we're talking centimeters here. Okay, yeah. But um, that's just the scale I'm looking at them at. Um, But, you know, that would be a a, a potential thing for people to look at is, you know, concentrations in the air of these compounds and, you know, from plant to plant, you know, so. Cool.
1: What about um, any different effects that you've seen between the different... um, I guess, yeah, as as far as efficacy goes in treating the mildew um, between the different fungicides that you tested.
2: Yeah, so there was a fair amount of variation in my um, my fungicide application timing study that I was talking about. Um, so sulfur, you know, that's like a standby stalwart product here um, in the Lamb Valley as well as other gr- uh, grape growing regions. So that one was a lot more variable during my application time experiment, um, and the, some of the synthetics, they, you know, they really decreased the levels of mildew to, you know, one, 2% of berries being infected, um, which, you know, that's optimal. Um, so three out of the five did that when they were applied late during grapevine flowering. Okay. Um, and one of those as an extra caveat, um, I, my, my lab has also looked at fungicide resistance. So like mildew, you know, not being able to be controlled by certain fungicide groups. And one of the products we investigated um, we have done a survey of numerous commercial vineyards in the Willamette Valley and in other grape growing regions here in Oregon, and uh, found that resistance to this one product that we used in our study uh, was widespread in, in Oregon. So um, okay. we don't recommend that you know that fungicide to be used whatsoever in a commercial setting. So
1: gotcha. Yeah. So are these like proprietary chemical fungicides, except for the sulfur?
2: Um, not proprietary in the sense that uh, their their ingredients aren't you know released, okay. but they're commonly used. Okay, so
0: so I'm guessing that the all of these factors that you've been testing can have, if uh, applied properly, or if adopted by vineyards, can actually have some pretty big economic benefits in that they're going to have a higher yield of berries and a higher quality of berries. And I'm wondering, uh, you have some uh, economic kind of background in that you've studied economics in the past and maybe we can get into um, what you were doing in undergrad that kind of led led to all of this work.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: I got uh, there. <laughs>
2: yeah. So um, yeah, we my undergrad it. I got from Colorado State University and uh, I majored in horticulture and I studied viticulture and enology as a fair, fairly large component of that. And that is the study of grapes and wine respectively, um, for those that may not know those, uh, those terms. And, and then
1: horticulture is just the, uh, study of growing plants that are maybe not, I guess, slightly different than agriculture.
2: Yeah. It's kind of more specialized. But like vegetables more like vegetables, you know, think greenhouses, indoor uh, production, yeah. you know, ornamentals. Um, but yeah, as a second component of my degree, I got a business administration minor at Colorado state. Um, so yeah, I've studied economics, um, and other other disciplines in business, but um, as far as that, in the context of my research here at Oregon State, um, the part part of the strength of my, my investigation is that it's very commonly what I'm studying is very common, very easy to implement in a commercial context.
1: Yeah, and it sounded like um, maybe there's a lot of potential to um, you know get more um, people who manage, uh, vineyards to actually implement these, um, fungicides or, you know, right.
2: And the strategies, the strategies is more what I'm looking for because, you know, the fungicides are already, you know, they're out there, they're commonly used. Um, but it's really, you know, sometimes a typical uh, thing that people do when they grow grapes is they just apply these fungicides on a calendar schedule. So, you know, once every two weeks, once every 10 days, what have you. Um, and I'm looking at, you know, timing them to specific stages of grapevine growth um, which is something that people don't always think of. Right. Cause you could save a lot
1: of effort in your workers. Maybe if you know, we don't really need to spray at a certain time. Um, it's just this critical period of a few days where, you know, early in the flowering stage when the, the fungicide is really most effective, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Actually what I found was late in the, in the flowering okay. stage, but, um, yeah, the the same, you know, the same concept yeah, applies where because
1: it's a lot of uh, a lot of labor for, you know, the the managers of these, you know,
2: these vineyards, yeah, yeah. for sure. They are busy people. I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of wine to try. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's what I was doing earlier today actually, Brent. I went oh, wine tasting. Excellent. Yes, excellent. To get in the mood, you know. Um Sounds good. <laughs> I want to know how you even got interested in studying plants in the first place.
2: Yeah, so I've been gardening since I was a child. I mean, since, you know, five years old, as long as I can remember, I had a little plot out back. Um, so I guess that's where it started and, uh, you know, when I went to undergrad to Colorado state, I, I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something with plants. So I asked around and people were saying that botany is kind of, uh, more basic in its research where maybe more lab oriented in that respect. And uh, horticulture is applied. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm in the field, I'm in greenhouses, I'm producing products and that is what I'm all about. I'm kind of more uh, an applied person and I like to see projects, uh, you know, with a, with a finished product. Come to fruition. Come to fruition, yeah, that's, that's the right term.
0: So what was the draw then for you to viticulture as kind of like a specialty of horticulture?
2: Yeah, so I just thought it was cool pretty much when I first uh, heard about it and saw the classes were offered at at Colorado State, you know, fit into my schedule. And um, once I started, you know, to take one class, I liked the complexity of it. And, uh, you know, there's a storied history of wine. And um, I just started, yeah, to be interested. And then as well, uh, I like good food, you know, who doesn't? And Mm -hmm. uh, Enology really kind of helps me, you know, try wine with food. and, and. get those flavor combinations that, you know, people seek out. So just the complexity and the, uh, kind of difficulty, you know, got me interested. So do
0: cool. you see any work for yourself in the future as a sommelier?
2: <laughs> no, I don't Did think I say uh, that right. <laughs> yeah. Sommelier. Yeah. Somalia. Yeah. No, I don't think, uh, I would, I'm more of a vineyard guy, You're right? You know, that's, that's someone who's in the tasting room or a restaurant or something of that nature, but, uh, I'm more of a, uh, a vineyard oriented person. So,
0: Okay. Vineyard management. And so you also you did a lot of undergraduate research at Colorado State University. Uh, I think you had like three positions, two or three. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about about those starting with the the um, the preservation, <laughs> the genetic preservation. Oh, yeah.
2: Lab. I'll, I'll get to the acronym for you here. Um, it was called the USDA ARS NCGRP. Which that last that. That last section, yeah, stands for uh, National Center for Genetic Resources Preservation.
0: National Center for the Alphabet Soup of Acronyms. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there we
2: go. Um, but yeah, so that's on the Colorado State University campus. And uh, that facility, um, they preserve genetic material of agricultural crops and livestock. And uh, they do this by cryopreservation. So like liquid nitrogen storage of gametes and uh, other material. And then also uh, seed storage. And this um, is
1: just in case we lose a lot of genetic diversity that's important for agriculture, and oh, we need to get that back. Oh, good thing we froze it in liquid nitrogen so exactly, we can wake yeah. it back up, and yeah. Okay. Natural
2: disaster comes yeah. through, wipes out a different one variety, you know, or something. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So there, I um I did a bunch of uh, work with a vegetative propagation unit there. Um, so I. Did tissue culture. I, I had little boxes where I would like multiply, say, potatoes, which are, are produced by um, essentially cloning, taking cuttings of one and, and cloning another um, and making another plant. Um, so I learned some of that te- those techniques there. Um, and I also worked uh, to extract sugars from dormant buds um, to kind of correlate sugar levels to optimum ability to be cryopreserved. Um, so I helped on a bunch of interesting projects there. Um and uh you know, I lost my job there because of uh the sequestration that happened in the federal government in twenty thirteen. Yeah. Um shutdown. Yeah, government shutdown. I basically lost my job because of that there. And uh then I got a position working for Colorado State University in the uh bioagricultural sciences and pest management department. Okay. Yeah. Cool.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about that after you were uh with that job?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um that was kind of my formative job, I would say. Uh, Mm -hmm. first I got that taste of research at the NCGRP and then, uh, I was working for a, what was called the bioenergy lab in that department. So we, uh, we used to work with sorghum, which is this grain that is kind of similar to corn. Um, and it can accumulate sugar in its stem, kind of like sugar cane. Um, so we were looking at that as kind of a means to produce like ethanol and other uh, biofuels. Um, And as kind of like a senior thesis in that lab, I was given the opportunity to uh, investigate this rust fungus that grows on Canada thistle, this noxious weed, Um, and I was trying to develop a PCR protocol, this uh, diagnostic test to find out if Canada thistle plants were infected with this fungus. But not displaying symptoms, essentially. So that's kind of what I was working on as my my thesis there. Yeah, PCR
1: being a polymerase chain reaction tool to amplify DNA, so you'd be able to. Right, you said test whether there's an infection present that you don't see signs of yet. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Cool. And this rust, uh, they the real interest with this rust is for biocontrol.
2: Correct. Yeah, it was a potential biocontrol agent because when it when it infected it and it was expressing symptoms, it would essentially decimate the plant.
0: Okay, and so they're interested in potentially controlling this noxious weed by infecting it with fungus? Exactly. Okay, and so your work, or your diagnostic test would be really nice then because, oh, we don't know if this field ha- is infected with the rust, and see if they need to go further or not, or Or take just more how steps. present
2: is this rust in the populations of Canada well. Right. I mean, really not much was known about mm-hmm. this. Um, so, yeah, this was just kind of a test to to kind of find out, you know, more basic basic aspects of this disease.
0: And as part of, or it was your th- senior thesis, but that was also part of a fellowship as well?
2: Um, no, I, I got a fellowship through the uh, Sustainable Bioenergy Development Center at Colorado State, um, and that was a project working with sorghum to oh, okay. evaluate it for uh, drought tolerance, essentially. So.
0: Okay, so this was in, in addition, so this Canada thistle rust project was in addition to this kind of sorghum stuff that you were doing as well for your job?
2: Oh yeah, it was totally tangential. It was a <laughs> it was a uh a project that Courtney John, my uh, PI there, she she had uh she was just starting to investigate that and I was you know, I had been in the lab at that point for probably a year and a half and uh she saw that I was, you know, interested in plant pathology. Um so she gave me the opportunity to to pursue that and I took it. So it was awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and do you think um I guess Oh, actually, I'm not even going to say that because you're going to tell us that later. Never mind. <laughs> I do want to remind the listeners that you're listening to Inspiration Dissemination, and we're on every Sunday at 7 p.m. We talk to graduate students about their research and their personal journeys to graduate school. And right now we're sitting down with Brent Warnicky, who studies powdery mildew on grapes. And uh, Scott was just about to ask you a question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you have a lot of research experience as an undergrad And what made you decide to continue it on into grad school? You just really liked it and wanted to sort of branch out into wine?
2: Yeah, so I kind of wanted to integrate things of that I learned in my undergrad. So, you know, I had at that point at my at the point of my graduation, two and a half years of of research experience about somewhere around there. And uh, I just wanted to kind of you know, further my viticultural education, which I focused on in undergrad, as well as my scientific education. Um, cause I knew, you know, I don't always know too much going on, but I knew one thing and that's that I liked science and I wanted to see if I wanted to pursue it in more of a professional setting. So, you know, I can study viticulture, I can study plant pathology, which I'm very interested in with my, uh, my senior thesis there. And then basically it was just a combination of, of everything that I wanted to kind of, uh, further in Mm -hmm. my education. So cool worked out well.
0: And how did you decide on Oregon State then?
2: Um, pretty much for what I just described. I mean, it just was a a way to just kind of synthesize my undergraduate degree into a more professional setting. Um, I was able to, you know, study viticulture again, as Mm -hmm. well as plant pathology. Right.
0: So you just found like the perfect program for the grad and you were already wanting to do graduate school kind of for the same reasons.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, I, I investigated other graduate schools as well, um, and other universities, um, but Oregon State just too many factors aligned, you know, so, I they all added up and made the made the decision. So, cool. Don't regret it. It was awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Including the proximity to lots of great vineyards.
2: Oh yeah, recreation vineyards. It's a high quality life here up in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) Right.
0: Cool. Well, uh, then what is what's gonna happen in the future? Then you're almost done with your degree. You got uh, one more year or so, and oh, less than less, less than, than a year. Less than a year. I'm
2: chomping at the bit over here. So.
0: Okay. Well, mm-hmm. we're all sad, <laughs> but anyway, uh, what is next, Brent?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, I would like to take time off and uh, do a bit of recreating. I'm a big uh, rock climber. I'm really into that. So, I'd like to. I'd do a bit more of that up at City of Rocks in Idaho, maybe, maybe some Joshua Tree down in, in California. I'm a big fan of national parks, so like to go to a couple of those, maybe see my folks in uh, in Denver for a bit. Um, but yeah, probably uh, entrepreneurship is a is a way that I want to go at some point in my life, uh, whether that be right after I graduate. Um, I'm kind of interested in consulting, so consulting and entrepreneurship uh, would be kind of hand-in-hand hand there. Um, so that's kind of a thing that... Um, I might go after, you know, taking a time off and and looking for a job. So, uh, probably consulting, you know, take some time off, maybe do some consulting after that or, uh,
0: So by consulting, you mean, uh, maybe say I'm a vineyard owner and I don't really have any background in plant pathology and I call you up and you come over and check things out and then prescribe management for me. Is that what a consultant would do?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, and I've, you know, I've worked with other crops other than grapes, so, you know, especially crops in general, I could probably be, you know, beneficial, you know, help out nurseries or obviously my expertise is with grapes. So that's definitely a, you know, I'm predisposed to, to help out there. So yeah, that, that's kind of like definitely one of the, one of the venues that I'd like to explore. So
1: Very cool. Sounds like a good combination of uh, all of your interests and backgrounds. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm all about, you know, synthesizing my yes. interests and stuff into, into <laughs> products. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that's,
1: Very cool. Yeah. All right. So one of the traditions that we have here on the show is we ask you about um, what sort of advice you would give to someone starting off in grad school or think someone who might be considering grad school as a potential path for them or like maybe a younger version of yourself. So what would you say to them?
2: Yeah. So I think taking advantage of of opportunities is like the most important, one of the most important things you can do. Um, you know, people offer offer you opportunities, you know, take them if you, you know, if they don't disbalance your, your life balance, you know, um, I'm all about keeping a, a good life balance between, you know, your work and your, your physical, you know, physical fitness and eating and all that stuff, keeping a good balance there. But Uh, so taking advantage of opportunities, but in addition to that, um, I think it's good to, to kind of like be in the moment, you know, I see a lot of people wearing headphones these days, kind of keeping their heads down, you know, straight ahead. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that people, you know, you know, try and try and be open to your colleagues, be open to your, uh, your coworkers. You know, I've made a lot of great friendships, just, you know, connecting with people that work in the same office or the same lab or, you know, the next door lab just by, you know, trying to be present and... And, you know, connect with them because that's, you know, this is an interconnected world and it's, you know, connections are great. So,
1: yeah, it's one of the main benefits of being in a university setting, I think.
2: Exactly. Yeah, You got that social capital, that kind of like collisions that lead to, yep. to outcomes. So. It's
0: not what you know, it's who you know sometimes.
2: <laughs> exactly. That can be just as Meet big Meet all a
0: your piece. future colleagues now. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's important.
0: And then our, our second tradition is for you to provide us with a song or two that uh, you want us to play as kind of a wrap up of your interview. And so which songs did you pick and why?
2: Yeah, so I um, picked two songs. Um, the first one, which should be the first one, is called Buggin' Out by a Tribe Called Quest. And, you know, I'm towards the end of my degree, so I'm starting to to write more and to try and, you know, wrap up, so... You know, I'm kind of bugging out from uh, feeling all that pressure there. <laughs> all
0: that pressure. Yeah, all
2: that pressure. So <laughs> it's coming. Uh, but yeah, so that's the first one. And then the second one is Say Goodbye by Beck. And uh, I've been uh, just really digging Beck's album, uh, Morning Phase, lately. So uh heard that song recently at this uh, concert called Project Paps. So um just just been uh, digging it lately and, you know, saying goodbye to graduate school, too. So soon, so.
0: All right, well, we'll have those songs on for you, starting out with "Bugging Out by a tribe called Quest. Lastly, I want to thank you so much for coming on Inspiration Dissemination, Brent. And uh, it's been great talking to you. Good conversation. Yeah,
2: thanks. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, you're listening to Inspiration Dissemination on KBVR Corvallis 88.7 FM. We're on every Sunday at 7 p.m. We talk to graduate students. Next week, we'll be on with Ben Lewis from COS, I'm pretty sure. Yep and he's actually he hails from Arkansas which is where I'm from so it'll be an interesting conversation you'll definitely want to hear that uh next weekend but before that here's "Bugging Out by a Tribe Called Quest it was a request of of Brent Warnicki, our last guest KBVR enjoy